Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the Motherkind podcast with me your host Zoe Blasky where each week I chat about all things motherhood and well-being. My mission with this podcast is to help you reconnect to you, to feel happier, more joyful, calmer and that little bit kinder to yourself because I think life as a mum in this hectic modern world is hard enough as it is. I believe becoming the happiest, most alive version of ourselves is the most important and inspiring thing we can do for our children. This week's episode is kindly supported by the LV Pump, which is the world's first silent and wearable pump. I've been using it for about three weeks now and I have to say it is amazing. It fits inside my bra and it operates on a chargeable battery. So I've been pumping every evening whilst I'm bathing Jessie, but it's totally silent. So she doesn't even realize. And the great thing about it is that it's really gentle. So even when I was still a bit sore, it wasn't painful and I was still getting a brilliant production from it. One of the things that I especially love about it is how easy it is to clean. It's not the sexiest feature, but as you'll know, as a busy mum, I can't be stood there for like 10, 15 minutes cleaning fiddly parts of a pump. And it's just brilliant. It only takes me a couple of minutes to clean it, which for me is a huge benefit. So if you fancy trying it, and I highly recommend that you do, the people at LV have kindly given us 10% off. So if you use Motherkind 10, you will get 10% off. On to this week's episode. Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the Motherkind podcast with me, your host Zoe Blasky. This week I am talking to Dr Alexandra Casozzi. She is a chartered counselling psychologist with a special interest in working with mothers, being one herself and is about to become a mother again because she is currently pregnant. So in this episode we chat about inner critic. Dr Alex and I agreed that that's really what we wanted to focus on before we recorded the episode, we wanted to talk about what the inner critic was and how we talk to ourselves becomes internalised with how our children speak to themselves. And we do cover that, but it actually morphed into a far broader conversation that really tapped into my passion, which is around how working on the relationship with ourselves as mothers and parents is the most important thing that we can do for our children. And it was absolutely brilliant to have Dr Alex's insight and input from her years of clinical experience working with mothers. As always, we went quite deep. I shared quite a lot of my own personal insights. But what I love about the guests that I have on the podcast is I feel like Dr. Alex also made it incredibly practical. So she shares some simple things that you can do to start working on your relationship with yourself without having to have therapy or you know other expensive interventions. So I hope that you find that really useful. I know I did. Before we get into the episode, I also just wanted to remind you about my course on perfectionism. So hundreds of you have now done it. The feedback has been profound. I have to say, I've been blown away by the feedback. Lots of people telling me that it's really changed their relationship with themselves, how they feel day to day. And quite a few people have actually said it's life-changing, which I found incredibly humbling to hear. So I've still got the 10% off offer running on that. I will stop that soon. So at the moment, it's £54. It's a self-study course. It's 10 minutes a day for 20 days. And if you pop onto the website, motherkind.co, you can have a read about what other people are saying about it and all the course info 
in quite a lot of detail is on that website so please do have a look motherkind.co and here is today's episode Welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you on. So we're going to be talking about why we're so critical on ourselves as mothers, Mm -hmm. how that can then impact our children Mm -hmm. and what we can do about it. But before we get into it, can you just do a very brief intro for people that might not know about you? Sure. So I am a a counselling psychologist, which is very similar to a clinical psychologist most people are familiar with, but we tend to work uh, more relationally and we kind of integrate different forms of counselling and psychotherapeutic support so not necessarily just kind of traditional CBT but also some of the psychoanalytic theory that we'll probably be getting into and talking about inner critics and so on and so forth. I work in private practice I work with a lot of mums and women's psychology really so around the transitions that women go through and I work specialising in the field of trauma so that might be if you think about any way that a person but particularly women might suffer trauma or go through trauma so that could be something that might be PTSD related it might be birth trauma abuse that might have happened in childhood or in adulthood in relationships and then I work in the NHS in a traumatic stress clinic up in North London as well a few days a week and I'm a mum <laughs> just tag that on the end I'm mum to I'm uh, to Finley who's two and one away so did you get into this field because of your own experiences I got into this field I thought I wanted to work in humanitarianism and international development and I came out of university and I got a job in communications in for Médecins Sans Frontières, the medical charity, humanitarian medical charity. But it wasn't enough. I was working in communications. The humanitarian aspect, I realised, after a couple of years of reflection, was to be alongside people. Yeah, and I guess in communications, because I used to be in marketing, mm-hmm. you're one step away, aren't you? Yeah. Or sometimes three steps away. Not quite, yeah. yeah. And I was in the UK and quite far from being really in contact with the people that we were supporting, although it was an incredible job and area to work in. So I retrained as a psychologist, which took a good five to seven years, if you like, look at the whole journey, and came out the other side, having already had a big interest in trauma, having worked with refugees a lot, and women as well, who and often the unspoken, I guess, victims of a lot of disasters. I was really keen to continue that work in trauma, and it, my work's just evolved, partly out of my own area of interest now as a mother, and increasingly focusing on kind of women's mental health issues. Hmm. So we're going to be talking about why we're so hard on ourselves mm. as mothers. Mm. And you've already mentioned actually that word critic. So what is the inner critic and why is it important? So our inner critic is if we think about everything that we understand about ourselves, how we relate to ourselves, how we relate to others, is learned in our early relationships in those primary relationships that really with social animals we internalize those relationships and we make sense of it and that is how we make sense of the world because all our, the way we make sense of the world is relational yeah and part of that internalization is often critical and if we think about any critic as a spectrum we're all going to be critical of ourselves and we're all going to have things that kind of trigger us to be more critical than say maybe someone else because that's down to that experience but when our inner critic becomes 
loud and we don't have other aspects of ourselves, we think about ourselves as multifaceted, if we don't have other facets, other aspects, other internalised voices or scripts to combat that inner critic, then all we can do really is self-direct that kind of loathing, that criticism towards ourselves. This would be my experience. Mm -hmm. I would say before I got into recovery and therapy and healing 12 years ago now, my inner world was dominated by that critic. Mm -hmm. But what's so interesting about my experience, given what you've just said, Mm -hmm. is that I had a mother who was highly critical on herself, Mm -hmm. but I wouldn't say was overly critical of me actually but what I find so interesting and what's really helped me is that I learned by watching her Mm. not by what necessarily she was saying to me yeah and I think that's so important that you've made that kind of differentiation that we don't just develop a strong inner critic because we had very highly critical parents that were punitive. Yes, my parents were very loving. Right, exactly. So it's not about the relationship itself. So the relationship that happens in reality is one thing, but how we internalise it is another. Well, this is another thing that is, you know, when I learned this, it was a real aha moment for me, Mm -hmm. is that children are basically mini narcissists. Mm -hmm in that when we're children, everything is about us. Mm -hmm. So when I saw my mum withdrawing into herself, not able to be available to me because of her own unresolved trauma, I made that about me, that I wasn't good enough. I didn't know then, of course, that she was doing the best that she could. And, you know, so I find that that was such a healing moment for me to realise, ah, that's where it came from. That's where this really low esteem that I grew up with Mm -hmm. came from Mm -hmm. because my mum wasn't emotionally available to me through no fault of her own. Yeah. It made me think that I wasn't worthy of that emotional availability. Therefore, I'm not enough. Mm -hmm. And that's the tragedy of it, isn't it? It's a powerful realisation. Very powerful. But you can't separate until you've had that realisation. You can't separate what you've learned, what you've internalised. It keeps you captive. It doesn't allow you to be free and form a different pattern of relating to your own kids. Well, that's what I did, is I then... So I had this low esteem, you know, and I remember it from you quite young. Five, I remember feeling like I didn't like myself. Mm. I remember feeling like I had to be different to Mm. be liked, you know, and I couldn't understand why. I just remember those feelings Mm. now, having unpacked some of this in therapy. But I then spun off into the good girl model. Yes. So I was like, I will try and be perfect. Mm. I will try and achieve whatever I can. Mm. I will try and make the outsides look fantastic. And that worked for a while. Mm. I mean, I would say the cracks started to appear in my late teens, where I then started using other things to numb Mm. that feeling, Mm. drinking and dating and mm. shopping and yeah but on the outside I was a real high achiever mm. which of course was all masking and was your mum the same was your mum a high achiever and no masking things okay. no she masked through numbing and avoidance okay. she so that's also how you learned that technique then, yeah I learned that technique yeah I learned that when you have a feeling mm. she obviously never said this to me mm. like this is what I find so 
powerful really mm-hmm. to learn is that she never said oh when you have a feeling avoid it mm-hmm. you know she probably said to me it's okay to cry but what I saw her doing was never feeling her feelings well that she was the more what she was doing was much more powerful because she was the person that you were looking up to yes was your she was my model person. yeah you're, she was yeah. she was your model for how yeah. to relate to the world and understand yeah. yourself most important but this is where my passion comes from because my parents did everything that they could to set us up for a wonderful life they worked so hard so that they could send us to private school you know we went on two holidays a year Mm. I always had nice clothes I got really into horses and they bought me a horse Mm. but actually what I wish they'd done was taken all of that money Mm. and all that resource and time Mm. and used it to work on themselves Mm. and that's where my passion comes from it's the hardest message it's the hardest message to receive yes I see so many parents, it's not actually particularly mothers, I think. I think it's mothers and fathers, but often it comes across in different ways. Mm. So there might be a be strong kind of ethic in the fathers, but a be perfect one for for women more often maybe, but that's not kind of universal. But I just often see that, let's say for you, for example, you saw your mum being being critical towards herself yeah but highly but praising you really being just really present in rewarding you for the things that you yeah be and she was physically present you. she quit her job to raise us yeah so it's not like mm. she, i was raised by nannies yeah yeah but she was physically present but emotionally absent yeah which yeah. is where it all stems from. Yeah. Through no fault of her own. Absolutely. But she, she just was had... doing the best that she could have done. Yeah. And actually, potentially, I don't know, but better than her mum would have done. Yes. So there's this kind of tendency, this movement towards healing always, I think. But we can only do so much, especially on our own, without the work put into us. Because it's, you're right, you said just then, it's such a hard message. And I really hear that. Sometimes you know with mother kind the message is stop worrying about parenting stop worrying about what school your kid's Mm going to go to or Mm -hmm. can they write when they're four Mm -hmm. and start not worrying about but start focusing on you and how you are because that is the biggest predeterminant really of how your child's going to be and there isn't a shortcut there isn't a shortcut you know we talked before this just discussing about what we might talk about as well, how do I stop passing on my inner critic to my child and I thought about that um, how do we well you do the work because children see everything. So you have to do the work on yourself. And that's the really hard message. There isn't a shortcut, really. And I totally agree. And sometimes I feel so grateful that I did the bulk of my work mm. before I was a mum. Mm. And you can never do it all because, of course, when you have this identity shift and you become a mum, when the system around you changes in terms of how you relate to your parents, how you relate to your Well, partner, that's why I started Mother Kind. All of this new stuff comes yeah. up, right? And then you're like, oh, I thought I'd done most of the work and I've got... So I did, <laughs> I did like, what did I do? Five years in therapy and then 12-step recovery. Everyone listening knows that's my, mm. my journey. Loads of healing stuff. Mm. And then I met guy mm. we weren't married then and then all this new stuff came up and I remember sat in front of a couple therapist and I had this like aha moment I was like I've got to start again haven't yeah. I she goes you don't have to start again she goes but it's like peeling the onion yeah another layer is gonna come mm. and I felt exactly the same when I had Jesse mm. and I was searching for the conversation yeah like where are the people talking about this mm-hmm. I couldn't find it mm. so that's why I started yeah. this platform to yeah. talk about it mm. because you're never done. You aren't, no. Speaking personally, I thought when I kind of went into motherhood, as I was transitioning, so when I was pregnant, I prepared for birth, but I also prepared for 
who was going to be around to support me afterwards, knowing that I would need that. And I had quite a good relationship with my mum and she's also been an amazing figure in my life. So someone that has always been very loving and giving, but respectful as well. So when I said, okay, I don't want you at the birth, but I would love you to come for three days afterwards to help support me and my husband and the baby. And then like, just, you know, whenever you can come. But, and then, you know, three months in, I was like, I can't do it five days a week on my own. And can you come on a Friday? And she would come on a Friday. We have always had that quite clear negotiation and a lot of respect on like, both ways. Mm. But what I didn't see coming was my mum had her own story with her mother, which meant that what she wanted to do for me and my sister was to stop working and to be just with us, maybe similar to your mum. Yeah, very similar. Just with us for until we were really, you know, well into school like so we were in primary school when she started to work again obvious idealization right but I can never remember her being particularly like she'd get angry with us but not but particularly unreasonable with us like in a childish way obviously I felt she was being incredibly unfair but you know for the most part looking back on it I can see that she was just a really great mum and then I had my son and I was saying to her this is so hard why didn't you tell me any of this? You know, the I didn't get the response that I expected to get, which is, well, you have to go through it yourself. The way that I perceived it was she couldn't remember or she had no recollection of it being hard. So that was really hard for me because I thought my mum just sailed through this and loved us so much that she genuinely can't remember going through the things that I'm going through. And... I feel like I'm not as good a mum. Why aren't I? She gave me everything I needed to be this mother and I'm, do I not love my son as much as she loved us? It, all of these insecurities coming out. And it took me a while to work on me and what that meant for me. And I didn't feel like I was failing, but when I was with my mum, I did. But she was the person that could also support me the most and loved me, you know, apart from my partner, the most in that part of my life. So that was really, really interesting. And then we ended up having an argument, which we've hardly ever have. And her saying, well, I just feel like I'm constantly disappointing you. And me saying, how can you feel that way? You're, you know, And it really went backwards and forwards. And in the end, what happened was we just were both really honest. And I said, like, you're, I feel like you're the only person that can be here for me, but you can't remember it being difficult. And she went away and really had to think about it. She was like, you know what? I do remember it being difficult but I really don't remember it. And I had to make peace with, maybe it wasn't difficult for her. Maybe it was. And she's, you know, doesn't think about that for her own reasons, but it doesn't matter. She's here with me now. But coming to peace with those things is actually really challenging and they take you by surprise. I didn't expect to feel any of those things. I thought I would have the natural struggles of being a new mum, but they wouldn't actually put strain on a relationship with my own mother. But yeah, yeah, it's really common. It's really, really it's common. Really common. Yeah. What I found really healing, two sides of it, when I had Jessie, watching my mum with Jessie, some of the things that she would say and do, I thought, ah, mm-hmm. that's where that came from for yeah. me. Yeah. You know, like I would, I would watch her being a little bit manic maybe or bringing some anxiety into mm-hmm. the, the dynamic mm-hmm. or... Things like that, and it, I found it quite healing. Yeah. So I thought that's obviously how she parented me. Yeah. 
you know, it's not surprising that I, you know, I found that really mm. healing. I also found it really healing watching their relationship. Mm. Um, for me, I had to hold those two, yes. you know, noticing how she was with Jesse in a really positive way and also mm. noticing some of the, the other behaviours that I could see. Now, having done the, a lot of the work on it, I could yes. see it. Yeah. But I found it, I was really able to extend compassion to myself. Yes. And that is just so powerful and so healing for you. Yeah. So we were talking about the critic, weren't we? And how that relationship with ourselves. So how do we work on it then? So what we've said is the best way Mm. to not pass on or get this internalised critic onto our children is to work on it Mm -hmm. for ourselves. Yeah. Okay. Mm. That's so powerful. I mean, I could say that all day, every day, Mm. and I don't think I'd get bored of saying that. Yeah. I think it's just so not the way that in the general society we talk or think about parenting. Yeah, absolutely. So what do we do then? Maybe it'd be good to get your thoughts on how do you know if you have a strong you talked about it being a spectrum right yeah. at the front yeah. Yeah. how does someone know if they need to work on this that might be good and then how do they work, how on, do it? They work on it so I think that we can all do work on it I'd say that I probably don't have on the spectrum I'd say my inner critic is probably maybe in the middle or on the quiet side and I understand why that is and I'll get onto that in a minute but I've done a lot of work on my inner critic and the tools around that and it only helps because even if I'm not particularly self-critical person in day-to-day life when I get stressed when I get tired tired Uh when there's too much on my plate or my family's plate or everything that's when all of our old patterns kind of emerge and self-criticism is often one of them so I would say you can work on it no matter what but if you have a particularly strong inner critic what is likely to happen is that you will go into self-critical mode. It will be your go-to when things become slightly stressful. So if we think about having a newborn and the newborn is screaming and you have multiple things to do, you're starting to criticise yourself. You're starting to feel like you're not meeting everyone's needs. You're starting to feel resentful of others. You're feeling then guilty and ashamed. That's an important point. Yeah, the resentment of others is important. Yeah. Uh, I helped me to get that. That was part mm. of my critic. Mm-hmm. Um, because you push it out. I push it out. Because yeah. it's too much. Because, you know, it's too much for yourself. If you think about the fight or flight reflex, we can understand self-criticism as self-fight. Yes. So if you might be fighting others and there might be resentment there, increased bickering with your partner, with your friends, like they don't understand me, they don't understand what I'm going through. And it's not that it's not true. But you can normally tell if you're still feeling that strongly when you're calm, then maybe it's true, it's more objectively true that you're struggling in that relationship with your friends for them to understand what you're going through. But if it's heightened and really powerful when you're also under stress, then that's that critic coming through. Yeah, I had it this morning. I'll just share because I think sometimes it's helpful to hear Mm. real life things. So I hadn't had much sleep last night. Interestingly, it was Jessie, my four-year-old, that was awake, not my newborn. Mm. Jesse has a ballet show this morning. Okay. So we had to leave the house basically early and I was knackered. I got up, both girls were in my bed. I brought both girls downstairs. I was really tired. I was trying to feed Rose, get Jesse's porridge. Of course, I made it in the wrong bowl. You know, all that stuff yeah. was going on. Yeah. And my husband, Guy, was asleep upstairs. Oh. <laughs> and I could feel, I could feel the bubbling of rage Mm. and resentment Mm. and anger and I thought 
but I'm just so bloody grateful that I've done the work, right? Because I was able to think, it's okay. This mm. is a really stressful situation. Mm. Like you're really tired. Yeah. You've got a crying baby, a screaming four-year-old, and your husband's asleep upstairs. Mm-hmm. And even thinking that this is hard, that just lowered it. Yeah. And then I thought, I haven't actually asked him to get up. Yeah. Why am I feeling resentful of him? He always gets up later than me. I'm, yeah. uh, he doesn't know I've not slept last night. Yeah. Because he's in the spare room so and I was a reality check. Yeah. yeah. And then he came downstairs and I said to him. Thanks for coming down early, because he had to come down early. And I said, just so you know, I'm feeling it right now. I feel like I might snap. Mm. And he said, okay, what do you need? Mm. And I said, can you take Rose? And the whole thing diffused. Mm. And I just, it's moments like that, like so tiny, but so massive. Well, they're huge, because Because that's the potential to go in completely different I could feel it. I could feel, you know that feeling? I could feel the tightening in my chest. Mm. I could feel the like... He really needs to get up earlier. Things have got to change. That's where my mind goes. Mm. My mind goes to the extreme. Things have got to change. That's what my critic starts Mm. telling me. As in, like, everything in our life has to change. And what happens (laughs) is the criticism goes outwards and then it comes back round often. So Mm -hmm. it goes outwards to resentment, anger at others, fury, the rage. Yeah. And then it comes back round. Well, why isn't he appreciating me enough? Does he not value me enough? And then it goes to yeah. that self-loathing. I'm not valuable. I had that thought. Worthy. I'm doing it all. That was the thought that came mm. this morning. Mm. Things are going to change. I'm doing it all. Mm. Mm. But the reality was I hadn't asked him. He would have got up. If I'd have said, can you get up with me tomorrow morning? Mm. He absolutely would have done. Yeah. I just didn't ask him. Yeah, absolutely. And we, but, we, but we don't off, so often because we get stuck. And then before you know it, when he does eventually go get up he's done everything wrong he didn't know anything but he should have known everything what you did being kind to yourself is the most valuable tool that you can learn and it's so hard isn't it I mean so the word, hard. The word like just be like the phrase just be kind to yourself it's not just be kind to yourself no. it's the hardest thing that you can possibly do you asked me about kind of how can we know how strong our, our critic is I mean we've had a great conversation there where two people who have done a fair amount of work can you know, maybe more easily identify their critics. But at the same time, you know, those critics are there for everyone, regardless of what work you've done. So I think the more often you're feeling like those kind of situations are spiraling out of control, that's when you need to do more work. If you're you're kind of able to kind of rationalise them, give yourself the emotional support that you need and move forwards, then you're on your journey. And I think as well, my experience of working with my critic is that it's actually... It's the simplest, hardest thing mm-hmm. in my experience. Because mm-hmm. it's actually quite simple, mm-hmm. a concept yeah. to get yeah. that we have this narrative in our heads and the key is to try and replace that or notice it mm-hmm. and then think about it. Like I did this morning in that example, mm-hmm. replace it with a different reality-based mm-hmm. or a kinder statement. That's not that complex, right? Mm-hmm. But it's so hard. Yeah isn't it? Because you have to learn other voices, other scripts. If your inner critic is more dominant and is pervasive in your internal working model, then how are you supposed to combat that if you don't have other yeah. other voices developed? Do you see this? Something that I find with my coaching clients is one of the first things we'll do is we'll start talking about mm. inner critic. And I did some training in mindful self-compassion with Kristen yeah. Neff, so I'll start to bring that in quite early. Mm. But what I notice is the fish doesn't know it's in water. Yeah. So often someone will say to me, oh, no, I don't really have mm. a critic. Or or they'll say, but I am not good enough. 
Yeah. They will they will have been swimming in that critical self-narrative yeah. for probably since they were very, very young. Yeah. That actually is their reality. And you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And actually the when I was thinking as we were talking about, you know, okay, so what can you do to be more self-compassionate to yourself and to work on your inner critic? I was thinking, okay, what do I do when I'm working with clients? What general course does therapy take? Because obviously it goes in all sorts of ways. But the first thing that we do is we talk about and establish what is their reality. That might take a session, but it might take 10. Yeah. Because what their reality is in the first session, assessment might be, yeah, it's great. I've got a really supportive husband. I love being at home with the kids. You know, I'm struggling with anxiety. I just need to be able to kind of get on because it's getting in my way. You know, I just need to let, teach me a breathing technique right. and I'll move on. Exactly. I've had clients say that to me And before. that's their reality session one. Session 10, we're into, I feel quite resentful of my husband. I love him. I want to spend time with him when he's around. He's amazing with the kids, but his life is seemingly on a completely different trajectory. We don't share what we used to share. You know, I love the kids, but I sometimes just, I'm really not able to enjoy them and I worry what I'm passing on to them. You know, it's always multifaceted. It's never simple. So establishing first what reality is and hearing it yourself, not telling yourself that lie, which is ultimately also feeding into that criticism because if you're not being honest with yourself, you can't know what work you have to do. And you're also not being honest in terms of what the reality is for your kids and they can see through that. So it's really important. That's hard to hear, isn't yeah. it? It's really hard to hear it that. It is hard to hear. You know, I desperately want to do my best mm. for Jesse. Mm-hmm. I know I've got a huge blind spot still, yeah. Yeah, well, but it's hard to hear. I think it's hard to hear that, but I think it's also hopeful to hear that mm. because really... How amazing is it that we don't have to be pro-parents, right? We don't have to read parenting books. What we have to do is work on ourselves. Yeah, and just be honest about that. Yeah. Yeah. And be honest about what work needs to be done, what do we want to do? So one of the things in terms of once we've established what the reality is, we can move into, okay, what am I giving up that is not good for me to give up for me? So a lot of people will say, I'm so busy and I just haven't had time to do anything for me, but then I feel guilty about it. But when we think about what, is being given up what's being given up is actually really vital for you to have the time and space to be able to check in with what your reality is so that should be put on the pedestal you know the time for yourself the space for yourself whatever shape or form it takes that about becoming a master in yourself and in knowing yourself and mastery takes time yeah and space so you have to kind of give that to yourself yeah and then there's what are the things i'm fighting that i should be surrendering to that i've told myself are important I know you've talked a lot about kind of women coming out of, or mothers coming out of work and into motherhood for however long it is, whether it's a couple of weeks, you know, six months or a year on maternity leave. And we've made, especially if we've had parents that have been kind of either critical or critical of themselves, we then get our value and our sense of self-worth from doing things. Yeah. In some shape or form. So yeah. we might channel that into work and become amazing career people. Or baby classes. So my clients classes. will say, well, I can't make that session because I've got uh, gym monkey music. And I'm like, wow. Well, it, cha- it, cha- it usually exactly. turns, right? So we've, we've had our amazing careers. And then there's the baby and the tumbleweed and the 
what do I do with this time? I have so much time to reflect. I have so much time to ruminate. I have so much time with my mother. And that can be really scary. You know, I know that one of my coping mechanisms to run from the, my relationship with myself, as I've already shared in this chat, yeah. was busyness, yeah. was success, mm-hmm. was achievement. Yeah. And I see, like you're describing, people applying that same coping tool to our children, which is bonkers. Yeah. I mean, it's damaging. Let's this is going to be hard to hear, but it is damaging. Mm-hmm. Because and it's then damaging for ourselves. For ourselves. We're out of touch with, we're in sense of self-worth, what's going to make me feel worthwhile and not in self-fulfillment mode. Yep. And moving into that is what takes the time and the thought because we're so used to being in a conditional system where we're putting conditions of worth on ourselves all the time. Okay, yep. work and achievement and yep. so on and so forth. Yeah. But we then need to achieve in how we are with our children and that might mean like what your mum did that might mean being incredibly kind and supportive and loving and present as a mum in the way that she could but not emotionally yeah and being critical of herself I mean she did you an amazing service in not putting that criticism on you yes she really did yeah but ultimately unless we have the time and space to reflect on all of the things that are tripping us up, not just what that we're trying not, and the thing that you don't want to pass on to your children, the thing that you're scared of them seeing, that should be put at the top of your priority list because yep. that's the thing that you need to work on. God, that's so powerful. I'm going to say that again. So the thing that you don't want to pass on, whatever that is. That you're hiding from your kids. The yeah. The thing about you. Yeah, that's the thing to start working on. Yeah. Wow, that's yeah. really powerful. Because that's down my female line. I talk about this a lot on the podcast. But there's a lot of addiction and dysfunction. And that was hidden. Mm. And that's what's been passed down. Mm. And that's the thing that I am like. Mm. I am not passing on mm. that numbing, running behaviour. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to pass it on. Mm. And I have to be so careful with work with Motherkind. Because I love it and my mm. passion. And there's this really like complex double-edged sword that goes on for me. Because I'll notice that I'm running and numbing into work, which is at its core about avoiding numbing and running do you see what I mean as that's what I talk about mother kinds and yet I can use it to do that yeah so it's so fascinating I have to watch that most days I have to watch that like do I really need to work now mm. what am I avoiding yeah absolutely and it takes you by surprise the yeah that thing, you know things are double-edged yeah know? but they creep up behind us and that's okay that's life it's just giving yourself some time and space to be aware of that so if someone's listening and they can't afford therapy but they are conscious Mm. that they don't want to pass on that they're like yes I've got a really critical relationship myself I don't want to pass that on Mm. we've talked about some things but have you got any things that people can start doing almost like self-healing work yeah so I'd say make two columns one that is what gives me my sense of self-worth and one that is what gives me a sense of self-fulfillment. And it doesn't mean that there won't be things that cross over on both of those lists. And you, you just kind of write down anything that you can think of, or, you know, in those two columns, and there'll be things that are across both. It's always interesting to see what we are doing and making ourselves do that is allowing us to feel acceptable yeah worthy and worthy and what we're doing that makes us feel nourished and nurtured and just separating those things out and having a look at them is 
empowering because you then you have it written down in front of you. You can do it over, you know, it doesn't have to be a single activity. Create a column, put it on the fridge or whatever, a blackboard or and then you know just and, and contribute to it. So that's that's a great exercise in kind of being more self-aware. And then as you kind of develop more of an awareness about, oh, I'm doing this, I really want to do this. For example, I really want to work today. I really want to just answer that email. I really want to just do this. But it's making me stressed because I also, actually, this is one of the days or half days that I'm with the kids and I feel guilty for doing that and straying into that. Why do I need to do that for me then? What is it about how I'm feeling today or in this moment that means that I need that reward, that kind of dopamine hit, that assuredness from something external yeah and then the second thing that is good to do compassion in terms of kind of a compassion focused exercise is to create an antidote to your inner critic yeah so I mean I like to call it a champion because I feel like you can kind of imagine a champion but uh so there's a psychologist called Deborah Lee who has this beautiful compassion focused exercise called the perfect nurturer and what you're doing is you're creating someone who can respond to the inner critic. So if we, for a moment, imagine the inner critic, so you could paint your inner critic, draw your inner critic, describe your inner critic, yeah. I often do with my clients. I always say give it a name, yeah. give it a voice. Give it a voice. And it might be, oh, that's the, it's actually the voice, what's your inner critic saying? Oh, it's the voice of my father, it's the voice of my mother, it's the voice of my older sister who always told me I wasn't good enough. Mm-hmm. And, you know, But it might be just words and a kind of combination of things that you've been told it might be a single moment was so powerful in your childhood that it just went straight in and became a serious kind of script for how you kind of respond in situations and feel about yourself so the champion is an antidote to that so your champion is the champion is ultimately whatever you need it to be in a given moment but in order to know what you need you have to kind of work on knowing that right so it's the self-fulfillment self and this is what some people call reparenting Exactly, because you remember when I was talking about that spectrum yeah. of, of inner critic, the strength of the inner critic is often about what other voices you have. So we're creating a champion that effectively can sit on the other end to inner critic, yeah. like in a kind of seesaw way. Yeah. And when the inner critic shouts, you know, you're not good enough, you've let yourself down or is resentful, you can then say with your champion... No, you can do exactly what you did this morning. Yeah. You know, you yeah. can say, I'm going to yeah. be kind to myself. He didn't know that I'd been up all night. It's, this situation is really hard. Yeah. And talk to yourself. Yeah. Um, and the best thing to do is to write your inner champion a script. Yeah. As your critic has. I have some like ready. stock phrases mm-hmm. that I find. One of them is, this is hard. Mm-hmm. Just label it. That's from Kristen Neff. I yeah. find that so powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Another one is, you're doing a great job. Mm-hmm. Another one is, it's all okay. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I have some, like, phrases that I'll have from my, mm-hmm. you know, you call it inner champion, I mm-hmm. call it, you know, in, it, that wise inner parent. Yeah. Things that my parents didn't say to me. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the reparenting mm-hmm. job. Absolutely. So, yeah, I have those stock mm-hmm. ready to go. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> because you, you need them ready to go because... Oh, in the moment, you can't do it. Yeah, you can't no, do it. No, no, no. You're gone in the moment. Mm-hmm. You've gone in the moment. Another thing that someone said to me, which is super helpful and very simple, is never believe your first thought. Because that's a reaction, not a response. Exactly. Yeah. So now I know. My first thought this morning was, things have got to change. I need to shout at Guy. Mm-hmm. I thought, I'm not going to believe that. Mm-hmm. What's my second thought? Yeah. And then what's my first action? Yes. And that was just so helpful when I heard that. I heard that in 12-step recovery. And then so helpful. the time in the day to think... I was, I'm really proud of how I handled that yeah. situation. 
look what I did. I, you know, I didn't listen to my first thought. I thought about actually an alternative way of thinking about it. And I was kind to myself. Yeah. That's amazing that yeah. I did that. That is... Well, that grows my esteem. Mm. And that's how I grew my esteem, really, mm. from crippling low esteem to actually feeling really good about myself today because yeah. I felt good about that yeah so then it's like another little notch on the on the esteem sort of you know I can't think of an allergy but uh, you know on the esteem um on the ladder, on the ladder <laughs> that's the one that'll yeah. do yeah it's like yeah. another notch another notch another notch yeah and it's all growth because you have a dialogue then you have a kind of rounded mental landscape where you have a critic you have a champion you have the days where you're there struggling mm. but ultimately that's all of us it's all of us in this kind of mental landscape trying to navigate relationships with ourselves and with others. And being accepting of that, I think, is the biggest kind of first step that you can take in, in terms of the expectations that people have, that respect, like mothers have when they come and see me, that they should be able to do it all, that they should be able to do everything, they should be perfect, that they're letting everyone down. And the first step is realising that that's, a farce that's impossible and they're going to fail and that's part of the criticism mm-hmm. right and I think what's so fascinating that. about that is sometimes I'll say what do you want your relationship with your child to be like mm-hmm. with themselves mm-hmm. and they'll say I want them to be kind to themselves I want them to feel like they're okay you know all these things and I say you have to you have to work on modelling that within yourself because all the time that we're shooting over ourselves and we're being hard on ourselves, Jessie's watching that and that will become the relationship she has with herself. I say this all the time, if you can't do it for you, do it for them. But the irony is, of course, is that you're working on yourself with yourself for them. (laughs) Sometimes when I can't get clients to, they can't face, you know, I might say every night before bed or in the first thing in the morning, I want you to write on a post-it note an affirmation for the day. I yeah. am this, I am that. Yeah, because lovely, yeah. become your kind of stop, like you said, your stop. Kind of yeah. And sometimes that's too much. Like saying I am proud, I am this, it makes them feel so horrendously sick inside that they can't do that. Yeah, and because the dissonance is too much. There's too much space. Yeah. 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 So then what I move to is, okay, so every day in the morning at breakfast with your daughter... We're going to do post-its. We're going to do post-its of what we were proud of from the day before or in the after school, what we're proud of today. And mum's going to do one and your daughter's going to do one and we're going to do it together. And you're going to go home and say to your daughter, we're going to do this thing this together this week. It's really interesting. Some people, it's invariably easier because they're doing it with their daughter, but it's so much more difficult to do it actually for oneself than it is. They're naturally like, well, how about this, darling? You know, you've done this. This is amazing. We can say that you're proud of that. Even if those children are already starting to have their own kind of, yeah. you know, so it's also really good for them, but they need to see mum do it too. Yeah, of course. And it's powerful because when parents do do it and their children see them doing it, the transformation, oh, mummy, yeah, you did that. Or sometimes the, the child is like, but mummy, you made this last night and it was amazing for tea. Or, oh, and mummy went on that run last weekend. And do you remember when dad took us out and, and things like that? So children help. And that's not a bad thing, I don't think, as long as you're not standing there and, and being like, oh, there's nothing that I'm proud of. You know, you have to go into it gung-ho. You can help each other yeah. in that respect. Yeah, and I think that's so powerful, isn't mm-hmm. it? You know, that's, again, a, it's a Christian... Neff that I learned is what would you say to a good friend yeah. if you can't access that kind compassionate voice what would you say to a good friend in the same situation yeah. and we can 
invariably mm. find something kind that we would say yes. to a friend. Yeah. And sometimes, like you say, the distance is too great just for someone to believe that exactly. for themselves. Mm. But the reality is there. I think that helps see the reality. Mm. Actually, I am doing a great job. Yeah. yeah. And actually, that is a lovely way into that question that you asked, how do I know if I should work my own critic? Mm-hmm. If what you would say to someone else is different from what you would say to yourself, then you need to work on your own. Oh, I think it 99% is, yeah. right? Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so is there anything else, I love this conversation, before we close that you think it's important or helpful for people to know about critic and not passing that on to our children? One of the things that I would say is that it's not that we do the work on our own critic and then we have some sailing. It's hard work. And I think that that can feel difficult because... Sometimes being perfectionist or competitive with ourselves or whatever the situation is, that makes us feel like we are winning. We're winning at something. And to start working on the inner critic and unraveling everything is incredibly scary, intimidating, out of control. It can feel out of control in yeah. terms of the kind of parasite grip that we're keeping on our life. But that doesn't mean that it's bad. It means that you need to be supported in that journey. Such a good point. I'm so glad you brought that up because I know for me, when I first started looking at this, mm-hmm. I felt like everything got worse. Mm-hmm. It gets worse before it gets better, right? Because mm-hmm. I was like, oh my God, I have a horrible relationship mm-hmm. to myself. Mm-hmm. It was the fish in the water thing. I didn't yeah. realise that before. Yeah. Yeah. And then I remember feeling like, I was in some weird, like, alternate universe where I didn't know what to do anymore. I was like, I don't know who I am. I don't know. Ah. But then, of course, it got better. But it's so important to say that, that it can feel really scary to first address this stuff and to get the right support if it's available to you around that. And also, so important, you mentioned that it's daily. For me, it is daily. It is daily work, this stuff. I think that's good right I find that quite exciting but it's not like you do this once and then you're healed Mm -hmm. no absolutely not I liken it to kind of growth pains throughout childhood you know we have children and adolescents and we have growth pains and if you think about all of those different kind of transition periods to adolescence to matrescence like our bodies are changing physically and we have to adapt and it hurts and it feels and and pregnancy it feels yeah it feels uncomfortable yeah and the more uncomfortable the more growth is happening yes so if you think about it like that just because it's uncomfortable and it it doesn't feel together doesn't mean that it's going to hurt your children yeah what you're doing is working on yourself in order to have a more transparent relationship with your kids because they know who you are because you know who you are yeah if you are constantly kind of holding back or kind of masking who you are so it doesn't affect your kids you're not being kind of congruent in yourself and your children. Your and it doesn't family. work. It doesn't work. It doesn't. It's exhausting. Yeah. It is exhausting. And it doesn't work. Kids are energetic beings, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Children, I knew what was up. Mm-hmm. I knew what was up. Mm-hmm. I could see. I could feel it. I, you know, and what was really confusing to me is it wasn't talked about. Mm-hmm. So I was like, yeah. I can't trust myself. That was the, you know, one of the big challenges that I had through this lack of transparency that yeah. I saw in my in my family through the sweeping it under the carpet because I thought something was up and I remember asking my mum once is everything okay mm. oh darling everything's fantastic mm. so I thought oh, well, I, I felt like maybe something was up so I can't trust my gut mm. it took me years years to now be able to trust my instinct and trust my gut mm. to heal that break right um, so what you I suppose that and that's 
really beautiful because what you're saying is you have learned to trust your gut and yourself mm-hmm. by being congruent with yourself and mm-hmm. doing this work to be more kind of transparent and, and understand who you really are. Mm. And that means that your children are going to be able to trust their gut, trust who they Hopefully. are. Hopefully. Mm-hmm. Well, like this morning, tiny, but I said, you know, to Jessie, I'm really struggling this morning. Mm-hmm. You know, and she just sees that mm-hmm. reality. Yeah. And yet she sees me being kind to myself about yeah. it. She sees me not spinning out in a rage. Yes. You know, she yeah. sees me like saying I'm struggling, but mm. able to contain it. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really, God knows, but I'm hoping that some of that might be going in. Yeah, well, she's seeing reality. Yes. Which is important. And, yes. And a reality that you're very aware of and one that you are, that is containing, not perfect. Yes. Not false. Well, aware. I would say aware. Mm. That's all it is, is that I have an awareness. Yeah. Um, but your awareness is probably containing for her. It's a containing experience. It's one in which she feels safe because you are the holder of that yeah. awareness. Yeah. God, we could talk forever. Yeah, I'm absolutely. like, I keep like thinking, I want to go up here. I want to go up. We'll do a follow up. Yeah. So I always ask the same question at the end of every episode, which is if you could give just one gift to all the mothers, the broadest definition of mothers, mm-hmm. what would that be and why? I think that I would probably give them a champion whether it's a single person or a different facets of lots of different people that just are present and allow them and give them what they need in motherhood whether that's positive affirmation or hoovering <laughs> putting a load of washing in taking the baby so that you can sleep but it's basically the, a village right but yeah people that champion you because I think that that especially in motherhood that's what you need and it's really difficult to just get it from yourself especially at that time when so much is changing so yeah champions oh beautiful thank you so much so that's it thank you for listening to the episode i hope you really enjoyed it and if you did please do leave a review on itunes it does make a massive difference to the number of mums that we can reach with this content if you were listening to that episode thinking about one of your friends that they might benefit from what we were chatting about then just tag them in on instagram my bio will include the link to the podcast so they can find it really easily from there people often tell me they're desperate to share it with their friends so if that's you then please do i feel like the guests that we have on the podcast their wisdom just deserves to be heard far and wide so help me make that happen i'd be very grateful And also, if you want to send me any comments or thoughts about the episode, then please pop over onto Instagram at motherkind underscore Zoe. And also just to let you know about my coaching. So I do work one-on-one with mums on my programme, which is a three-month programme called Reconnect to You. So if you want to work with me on taking your power back in any area of your life, then please do get in touch. Just drop me an email, zoe at motherkind.co or look on the website, www.motherkind.co. That's it. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Take care.